You're listening to the Work Cultured Podcast, where good companies keep good company. You are listening to the Work Cultured Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. We've got today with us Travis Penfield of 49 Financial. Welcome, Travis. Yes, thanks for having me, Jason. Excited to be here. Excellent. Well, give us the the quick, high-level, 30-second pitch of who you are and why you're so amazing. I know you don't have to do that, but t- tell me a little <laughs> bit more about you and, and, and what you're doing at 49 Financial. Yeah, so Fortnite Financial, we're a wealth management firm uh, built on uh, the scripture from Ecclesiastes 4.9 that literally says two are better than one. So you can imagine everything we do is teamwork. We believe that mentorship is what's going to get this industry from where it is now, average age of 60, to actually not being completely taken over by tech so that uh, we have a future in this industry, which I could talk about more. But everything's teamwork here. Blessed to run it. It's been a wild 11 years. That is wild. Okay. So, yeah, for some reason, I thought it was going to be more fintech, which is, you know, I've seen a lot of the fintech companies. They're building models for Salesforce or some ERP, you know, something like that. No, you guys are pure, like, financial advisors, but you're trying to disrupt that. And I didn't know that the average age was 60. That's wild. Didn't end up average age 60. And I think we're just, uh, last census we did, I think we're just over 30. So we are half the industry age, which most are like, how's that happening? And, you know, our industry, interestingly enough, on the human side, I'll say the non-tech side, and I can tell you all the reasons why I think tech is going to disrupt this industry alongside of humans, if you're curious. But, um, you know, it's interesting that um, the industry has gone away from hiring young people. Like it's literally turned into, if you have a book of business, I'm going to try to buy your book of business, lock you up to be at my company for five or 10 years, then you're going to be done with that and do it again. And your clients will just keep following you. And so that's our age problem because that's the game everyone's playing. So no one's hiring new people. And that literally, my, my last two financial advisors, that's what they did. They were with one company, and oh. then after a few years, they, they got, I guess they got poached. And that's then it. they would go to another company, and I'm like, why why is this happening? I mean, I guess as long as you take care of money, but yeah. that's, that's really fascinating. That yeah, that's, it's, the re, that's what's behind the scenes. Well, it's a literally just a, quite, quite literally a changing of money is all that's going on. So there's not a lot of net new growth going on in general because everyone, the growth they have, you know, as they say, here's what we did, you know, this year, whatever it may be, then ask the question, how much was organic? And you'll get scared. Most companies, large companies, net new headcount have declined for 20 years in a row. So they've lost more people than they've gained in net headcount. 20 years. That's not good. That's not good. No, it is not. Wow. Okay, yeah, that's fascinating. And so, you know, I, I let's assume some of my listeners are like me, and, and we're not sure what the difference is. So, I mean, there's obviously apps out there now. Like, the tech is disrupting oh. financials. So, you got oh. Acorns and Stash, things like that. Where it's like, oh, I have my money. I can just put it on an app and watch it go. Yep. Maybe even pick some investments. Is yep. that what you're doing, or is that, or are you doing something different? No, uh, I know. I know we don't have all the time in the world, but let me tell you a story um, <laughs> that I think is pretty funny. I'll leave the names out of it, but I'm at a cocktail party. This is now seven years ago, and I'm sitting with somebody, and um, I say, "What do you do?" He says, "I'm going to put an end to financial advisors." 
No, he doesn't know me. He doesn't know that I actually am one. So that's funny. <laughs> and I'm like, really? Tell me more. So 10 minutes of conversation, right? And he tells me all the things they're going to do. And it's one of these algorithm-based, right, we'll do your portfolio for you type, type companies. And, uh, and so 10 minutes later, he goes, so Travis, um, you know, what, what, do you, what do you do? And I said, oh, I'm, I'm a financial advisor. <laughs> and he says, oh, man, that is so awkward. Like, why didn't you tell me? <laughs> and, uh, and I said, well, let's talk about this. I think this will be good for your viewers, too. I said, so, so what is your average account size? And he said, well, you know, it's pretty low, maybe, maybe 20,000, maybe 10,000, something like that. That's, that's probably where we're at. I said, why is that? He's like, well, talk on it. Like, the baby boomer generation just won't trust us. Like they want to talk to a human being, you know, it just, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me, but it is what it is. I said, so, so how's it working? He goes, you know, I'll be honest with you now. Um, I, I'm getting tired of how many people call in. I said, what do you mean call in? <laughs> and he says, well, they keep calling and we're like, but that's the whole reason you did it is because it's supposed to tell you and click buttons, but no one wants to click the FAQs. They just want to call a human and say, what's the deal? My account went down. And, um, and so I tell that story just to say, it's funny because everyone keeps saying in our industry, right, tech's going to win, humans are going to win. Like, it's a big thing in our industry. Uh, my belief is if you are if you are sitting with yeah, Acorn or whatever those types of things, that's going to continue. Like family budgeting, right, understanding where things are, I would say a little bit lower account size, especially below about 100 grand, that's, that's, that's going to continue to take off in there. 49 Financial, what we do is we typically have about a $250,000 minimum. And so, you know, it's, it's for someone that maybe is saying, so I have that now. And so just investing may not be what I'm looking for. Can someone sit down and actually ask me questions I've never been asked before of like, mm -hmm. what are my goals in life? Like, I, I didn't even know I needed to be asked that. And it's, and it's, and it's, it's funny. It's not just the typical, like, when do you want to retire? And everyone's like, I don't know, what is retirement, right? Uh, it's more of the deep things, right? It's like, what do you want your life to look like? And then put into that could be some of the some of the type of tech that we've talked about and and the and those things or it could be a whole investment team whatever but goals based financial planning is how I would I would answer that in its fullness okay that's awesome uh, I really like that we're obviously talking more about the, the product than anything about culture or anything else I mean we'll get there I promise that yeah, is culture, I can't wait. yes this is really fascinating and I also I mean just where do you find a bunch of 30 year olds that have a quarter of a mil. I mean, what, what, what's that? <laughs> well, so no, our advisors, sorry, our average client age is probably uh, upper 40s. Okay, yeah. okay, okay. So, uh, so, so do you have different kind of segments of the business then? You got it. You okay. got it. So two segments of the business, um, the business I just mentioned there, and then a private wealth business that um, is for a different, you know, a, a certain million and above. Um, and so that, that's kind of how we do it. But what's interesting is the whole average 30. Uh, it took us last year, I kid you not, Jason, 6,000 interviews on college campuses to find 200 people we felt could actually do this job. 6,000 wow. to get to 200. So now you're like, I see why companies are giving up on the college kid doing this industry because there's not a lot of them that can do it anymore. And so you kind of have to really figure out who they are. But I'm the one still sitting out there saying, take a chance on the 20-something-year-old. They're really smart. But, yeah. you know, they got to be really good. Yeah. Man, we usually have kind of a, a question we come right out of the gate with. But I'll, I'll, I'm going to save that for later. So let's talk about what's the size of your company? How many employees do you have? 250. 250. And this 200, the, the, this 
was this all kind of one big influx or are you talking about just over time you went through 6,000 people to get to the 200? Uh, every year we do about 6,000 interviews. Wow. Um, to do that. Um, and then of those 200, right, we make them go through four different licensing exams to do financial planning and, and only about 70% of them can pass all four. And so wow. you can't actually do what we do unless, you know, it's, it's a specialty, sure. right? You gotta, you gotta get yeah. licensed. Uh, and so that's kind of how you get those numbers. But no, I had gotten up to about 300, 350 or so at my prior firm. And then in 2019, um, had the bold, scary, crazy move to, uh, literally take, take the brand and do it on my own. And, uh, and so we actually got to this level here now. It's just been over three years um, in the independent, totally ours, whatever client needs. We'll just go get it for you space, right? Um, and so that's been something I'm quite proud of. It's been a crazy three years. Yeah, no doubt. Okay. Okay. So then, you know, I mean, putting the right people in the right seats, that's every company's biggest challenge, right? I mean, if you're going to yeah. grow and scale and you're adding all of that, you have a culture, but that culture changes with every, you know, five, 10% you grow, right? And so you have to find the right people. You're already limiting your scope of those potential people by they have yeah. to get a license. So, yeah. so then, then what do you do? How do you, how do you take this smaller pool of labor force yeah. and, and find the gems? So we have done, I'm sure many of you out there, when you look for culture, right, uh, you have all sorts of tests you can make, you know, people take and, and you can do all these things and they're all good, right? Enneagrams and I love them all. In fact, Enneagrams help my marriage more than anything. Like there's so many good things, but we have come down to, this may make you laugh. I mean, over my career, tens of thousands of interviews we've run and we've figured out there's a few questions if you answer yes to, they're a culture fit for your company. The first is, if I told you, you had to drive in a car with him, wake up at 5 a.m., drive in a car with him for three hours to go to some meeting, and then drive three hours back. So six hours of car time, not a ton of sleep that day. Are you excited about that? Or are you like, I don't want to do that with this person. Like, this is not going to work. Because it usually will actually have a test of, are they a values fit? Like, do they fit in of, like, where we are? The next question we usually ask is, give me your, your uh, loved one you care and trust the most, right? Spouse, parents, whatever it is. Let me invite this person over to dinner. Y'all have dinner. And then at the end, that person leaves and you ask your parent, your spouse, your whoever, um, hey, what do you think of them? That will tell you a lot, yeah. right? And then thirdly, you know, we're, we're constantly thinking about bring them in front of your top client. And what would your client say after that? And they, I mean, you've got to have some willing clients then. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I should say, tell your client that they're very green and they're not going to talk a lot. But yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. So then, so you don't use any of the assessments that are out there. I mean, obviously you can't, you can't use Enneagram or Briggs or DISC for pre-employment because you get sued. But totally. there are, there are some out there, but you're not utilizing yeah. anything like that right now. No, I mean, we've ebbed and, ebbed and flowed on that. And I think the last couple of years, you know, what we figured out on that, on all of that, I mean, there's a, to your point, there's a lot you can and can't do. But I think that the key is um, your people, even if you build your own scorecard, mm -hmm. it's so hard in the interview to remember the whole scorecard, right? Sure. Especially for us, we're literally in the relationship business. Yeah. If people do not trust us, it's over. Yeah. You know? If they're not earning your trust in that interview, they're not going to earn the trust of your clients. Boom. And thus the three questions. Yeah. Wow. Fascinating. So, I mean, obviously there's a cognitive ability. They have to get through that piece. And I assume you're not interviewing to that depth until they've 
expressed yeah, interest and gone and trying to take that exam and everything else. You, or you you have to, okay. They'd have to pass the exams to have the cognitive ability, right? So we already have that yeah. kind of baked in. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. All right, well, rewinding that. So right out of the gate, we'll pretend it's the first question I asked you, but it's not. And it never is, to be honest. <laughs> what, is a mis- what is a mistake that you've made in leadership? You've been in this role for three years, so I want to know just your 49 Financial, what's yeah. a mistake that you've made that you learned so much from that you just, you're never going to forget? Yeah, you know, um, there was this podcast that I heard, and it was about the rise and fall of this church called Mars Hill. And very fascinating. <laughs> Oh, okay. So, you know, very fascinating yeah. podcast. And one of the quotes in that podcast was, be very, very careful when the scale and the growth of the company starts to outpace the maturity and wisdom of the leader. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's when you know something bad's going to happen. You know, and you start looking at some of the examples we have in business. That's a pretty good quote. Um, yeah. And man, I think that's that would be it for me. So I've been I've been doing this for eleven years and had the you know the brand under the brand since two thousand sixteen, and you know we grew so fast that sometimes I wonder if if we didn't go independent and I didn't get an opportunity to kind of uh, skinny down, if you will, um, I wonder where it was headed. Because I think my greatest mistake was uh, what I learned is the scariest question uh, to uh, to try to ponder is what is the thing that I wish people would ask me the most about 49 Financial? That's probably where my heart actually is about this place. And pre-2019, you know what it was? Hey, Travis, so I've heard, you know, all of the social media and these things. So how many people are you up to now? I loved oh. getting that question. Right. Oh, we're at this many hundreds. We're in this many geographies, all those things. Well, what what was that revealing? That was revealing for me the mistake that I was getting wrapped up in our own press. I was getting wrapped up in those things. And when when you when you can't wait for that, it tells you something versus if today I would hope that what I would hope to be asked is something around like, so how are your people being changed there? Like, what, what are you seeing is actually happening? And be like, oh, I can't wait to tell you. Yeah. And, and I think the lives of the people you work with or. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. So I think I made that mistake for many years. Okay. That's powerful. Um, and I mean, you know, going back to that podcast you mentioned, and that's obviously not what this is about at all, but you know, for the listeners that don't know what this is, this is a, a church with a mega pastor or a mega church where the pastor was, it was everything centered around this very egocentric man yeah. who, yes. who probably got the question, how many people are you up to quite a bit in terms yeah. of like the size of his church? And that dude probably just, you know, man, did that stroke his ego and, and you know, everything was based on the pride of that one man because yes. he was asking the wrong questions. And, and yeah, I think it's really easy. I mean, heck, I do the same thing. You know, I sold my company, and I like to talk about, yeah, when I started there, uh, we were at this many employees, and when I you know, left and, and we sold, it was this many. Well, yeah. What does that actually mean? It doesn't actually mean anything. I know. It's just so fun to talk about because it's like it gives you immediate credibility with someone you just met instead yeah. of trying to make the credibility be who you are as a person. Yeah. W- what I should be really more proud of is we grew because we started treating people with worth and value yeah. Yeah. unlike anybody else in that industry was doing. Yeah. So we disrupted the heck out of it. Yes. And, and then, yeah. And then we succeeded. Yeah. That's yeah. It's like, like what did I, what did I do for my client that maybe impacted or changed their life? Yeah. That is so much more important than I grew another hundred advisors. But I, I told, yeah, I really, really struggle with that for years. Yeah. Well, so let's talk about, I mean, I've looked at your core values uh, and you know, they're, uh, you know, similar what's things I've seen out there, like authenticity, things like that. What, which one are you most proud of? 
Yeah, man, I think that um, you actually hit on it. So the, the canned answer would be teamwork because our name comes from, you know, literally two are better than one. And I am proud that all the teamwork and if we have time, I could tell you uh, when I had brain surgery, that whole story, because teamwork oh, showed up a lot in my life there. Wow. Um, just a little little waft for you there uh, that that happened. Um, but, you know, I think the thing that has gotten me over the last couple of years since we went independent is authenticity. Like, you, you know how hard it is in financial services when you're celebrated for how many assets you have and all these other types of things to then actually just sit there and say, who are the people we can actually serve? Who are we going to have to say no to? Because it's nice to get them as clients, but are we great at what we do? Um, and we finally adopted the golden rule. Finally. Like, if we're going to do this, let's just treat others how we want to be treated. If we were getting served by this planner, this financial advisor, how would I want to feel? How much time would I want to have? What questions do I wish would be asked? And that may sound, Jason, like, well, duh, dude. I don't know a lot of people in business, but for sure not in financial planning, that kind of start with the golden rule. Because I think the fear there is you're going to find such, like, authenticity of what matters to you. And then that means you may not you may not win the scoreboards that everyone thinks is impressive. And that's scary. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it is. I mean, especially maybe to investors. And I'm just curious if that's something you guys have and have to kind of navigate. Just no, I just privately held. Oh, so we have not. That's brilliant. To. Yeah. So so you can a little less really stress, a little more be that values driven. And um, I mean, you know, the faith is that if you do this values driven in a way yeah. that is about enriching other people's lives, then that yeah. will actually grow you. And, and you'll, you'll get to that profit that's the nugget that everybody wants. Yeah. But True yeah, Kathy, well, sorry to interrupt you there. True yeah. Kathy of Chick-fil-A, right? His big quote was better before bigger. When yeah. Chick-fil-A was like right there about to scale all those things, like I think that's the big thing is he's like, the customers are gonna come. But you got to be better at what you do. And exactly what you said, like that is so powerful. And that shows why Chick-fil-A has scaled the way they have. But as a leader and thinking even about this podcast and culture and everything, man, how hard is it to make that decision, though? I find it yeah. very, very difficult. Yeah. I have a nugget about the golden rule, but it, I, I think it would bore the people. So when we hit <laughs> stop, I want to tell you about that. So sure. authenticity, how does that show up from... How does that show up in you as, as the leader of the company? And then how do you make that kind of permeate throughout the rest of the culture? Yeah, you know, authenticity, I mean, it cannot exist without vulnerability. Uh, and so you've probably already seen as we've been talking, I'm just not, I want to lead the vulnerability dance out with my people to say, here's what I'm struggling with. Here's what I'm failing in. Here's the things that um, I'm personally kind of going through. And of course, you have to do that with wisdom, right? There's certain yep. things that are just not appropriate for certain stages, sure, in certain rooms. But I think that what I have seen is the more vulnerable I am, even on the company, like, hey, guys, here's where maybe I made some wrong decisions. I don't know. Like, I'm doing my best. I could promise you that. Or, you know, whatever it may be, I see then in, in you know, all the way down throughout the organization then out to the clients, people are no longer scared to just tell people, I don't know the answer to that question, or this is where I maybe went wrong. Because like, w what are we all but like success is just who's a better failure. You know, I mean, that's the truth. And so if we actually believe that, then let's talk about it more. That's pretty authentic. Yeah. Uh, do you know the author Brene Brown? Totally. Okay. So she defines vulnerability as fear, risk, or uncertainty uh, uh, no it's risk 
uncertainty and emotional exposure, I think is actually how she defines it. And so you, you mentioned like you know, different vulnerabilities for different rooms. I mean, that really is, if you're answering that question, is it vulnerability or is it disclosure? Like disclosure, we don't need to do. We don't need to tell everybody everything that's going on. No, not once. And putting, yeah. Uh, but the vulnerability of like, will, will me exposing the, the, emotion, the emotions here, the, the risk, the uncertainty here actually benefit uh, That's right. The group and authenticity is a great measure of that. Like, is this yeah. authentic? You got it. Totally. Cool. So, and then how do you, how do you like lead in a way that that permeates? Because 200 people, 250 people, that's a lot, right? You know, you, once you get over that 100, 150 mark, it's really yeah. hard. It gets yes. infinitely more difficult to keep a beat on culture. Yeah, and boy, I, I it, you know, I'd like to hear all the other people that have spoke on that because it's very hard. And back to the whole, I'm a failure at it every day. Uh, gosh, it was so nice when it was like 50 people, and I could tell you what was going on in their life. I could tell you when their parents are coming into town. I could tell you when, you know, all the things, and that's beautiful. And I think as entrepreneurs, it's so uh, quick for us to just grow and scale, and we don't properly mourn that we don't have that anymore. But like, we should mourn that. That was beautiful that I knew all of that. But I think if I want to stay there, I'm going to cause a ton of damage to the organization. Talk about another failure that I've had is I think I kept the organization too long at times to where I still wanted to feel that. I just wanted oh, to feel yeah. connected. I just wanted to feel like I knew it. Yeah. But how do you make it permeate? You have to start to realize it's your leaders that are going to make it happen. And while that means that you're still maybe going to do some speeches and talks and connect with your people and that's still good and needed, the bulk of what culture becomes is going to be the way in which you show your leadership how to act and be and all those things. And then they permeate that through. And I heard a quote one time I thought was so good, um, something to the effect of, uh, if you want to tell a company's culture, show me the newest person. And oh, I always I like that. Yeah. I always thought it was interesting because I'm like, wow, so the permeation you're talking about has to go all the way down to the newest person starting. They're in their first week, someone interviews them. Maybe they don't know our you know, company as well and all those things, but people are wondering, what type of person are you? Because that's not changing. And that's your culture, right? And that's hard when you have to kind of trust other people to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. That's really good stuff, man. Um, Obviously, you're proud of that. You're proud of that core value. On the flip side, what are some challenges you're facing right now, especially around culture? Uh, plenty. So when you when you have eight geographies, it becomes incredibly difficult to figure out how do you give each geography its own culture, and where is that healthy? How do you align them back up to a macro culture? That you know, if you don't have that, then why is everyone working at the same place? And man, I don't, I don't think we're doing a great job of that right now. Like, you say eight, eight geographies. Like uh, Los Angeles, yeah, Atlanta, Florida, yeah. Are, some, are you having some uh, yard work or landscape people? Uh, you know, our right office, I turned this for you. We've got ourselves someone blowing the leaves out here in the yeah. podcast. <laughs> kind of hoping you weren't hearing, but you know, it's great. It looks prettier than it did. Yeah, yeah, no worries. It's not too, it's not distracting. I just noticed it and thought I'd call it out. So in case people are what the heck that it's is. It's true. You caught me. <laughs> uh, speaking of which, you are in an office, and yeah. that's not necessarily always the norm anymore, which is crazy. Yes. So, so tell, tell me about that. Like, did things shift and then they shift back? Are things hybrid now? What, what's the landscape? 
Yeah, so uh, we are probably uh, among those companies that, you know, we got this space uh, here in Austin, at least as our headquarters, in 2018. Uh, you know, seven-year lease, really excited, yeah. you know, all the things. And, uh, and, yeah, I mean, where I sit now, we probably, even on our, like, height of days, we'll get to maximum 50% capacity. So we never really did a, a policy. You know, I mean, obviously, when it was, you know, the heart of COVID, it's like, well, no one's going to go in. That was obvious for all of us. But, like, you know, when, when it started to become, you know, safe and everything else again, I think the um, – we just, we just decided to let the people decide. And I think that what we have been um, uh, struggling with right now, I'm sure most people have, is everyone tells you they have the right answer to this. It's like when I became a parent, I heard more unsolicited oh, advice. Yeah. It's like, but I didn't ask you about that question yeah. about my kid. So same here. Every CEO, anyone I talk to, I'm like, oh, you're CEO. What are you doing for office space? And I'm like, what are you doing? And, you know, you hear the Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Don't come in at all. That's never going to work. I forced my people to come in because they're not productive. I don't know who's right. So I've kind of stayed in the moderate stance because anytime I don't have conviction, I choose moderation um, because I think that it's just – I've gotten in too much trouble when I'm like, oh, I'm going to do that. I'm like, well, was I convicted? So right now we're still feeling that out. I wish I had some great answer. Uh, but if you made me guess, I would say people are less productive when they're not here by a long shot. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. And then, so uh, back to the question before the, the the guy blowing leaves outside your window. Uh, so you, you're, you said you're in eight different geographies, and is that relatively new, or has that been like the way the whole time? Are you still expanding? Yeah, so I mean, we hope to have ten thousand advisors in ten years, uh, and so this industry is so set for disruption, and um, and so in that right, we're going to have to have somewhere between twenty and twenty-five different offices. Okay. So expansion will continue on. You know, every year for the company, I do a theme. And we get cool T-shirts and all the things. Mm -hmm. And uh, the macro theme is two are better than one, right? That's what we do. But this year, the theme for the company was depth over distance. And uh, the reason why you know I chose that theme was because I said, you know, uh, if you look at a lake, for example, right? There's this lake in Austin where I live called Lake Travis. And it's, like, beautiful. It goes all across. But, like, to us, we look at it. I couldn't tell you how deep it is. I mean, so when there's droughts, and in Texas there is droughts, oh, yeah. you get to see all the places that really weren't that deep. It wasn't, it was super pretty, you know, and awesome, but you get one drought coming in, you get to see the depth of that lake. I think it's the same of any organization. And I think that right now, yes, the plan is to expand, but really for the first time in my career, I've told everyone this year, we're not going to keep expanding out. I mean, it's super sexy and cool and back to the whole, like, it's pretty awesome to say you're in another geography. Yeah, but that's distance. Like, I don't want to be two feet because I look at the post-COVID landscape and business and the droughts seem to be coming more frequently and more like we don't know where they're coming from in business. So I think this is the year to, like, let's dig deep with what we're great at, where we're at, and let's get ourselves full of water and then go outward so that we know even if we hit a drought, right, it's not going to have a problem. And then I think my macro, Jason, is... I hope that this lake of 49 Financial is here 100 years from now. I really, I do. I mean, this is what I'm doing. I want it to be here. Uh, but let's say there's no water in it. What are the prettiest looking things in the world? The canyons, right? I mean, and so I'm hoping what I'm doing at, at, at worst in 100 years is a canyon people go to visit to, to learn lessons from, right? 
Sure, yeah, to see how it got that way and what you did in the industry leading up to it. You know, this yeah. is economically speaking, this is a good time to have that that deeper mindset too. And you know, you you build that strength of core underneath the canyon, right? And yeah. in 2024, the most economics uh, economists are saying is going to be a great year for filling that lake up. Yeah, uh, and and expansion will be a lot easier if you've set that foundation. You got it. That's that's our hope too. Yeah. Okay. Um, man, we're talking about so much and there's so much I can relate to as well. I mean, my, my business was completely and utterly different, but, uh, we were at eight offices when I started wow. and we're a little over 20 when we sold. And, and honestly, I wish we wouldn't have gone so many. We, wow. we went too far too fast and we should have never gone to California. Uh, <laughs> it's hard. Not, not, not that industry. Uh, it's hard. Offense, Californians, a lovely state, but whew, labor laws and everything yes. you had to get into. Yes. No. Totally. Uh, yeah. So uh, it, we're talking about authenticity. We're talking about uh, the why. You know, are we enriching lives? What are we measuring our success by? Yeah. Uh, we're talking about building foundations, building that beautiful canyon. Give me some more gold, man. We, we got some good stuff here. Well, I got to tell you my actual story. Okay, so I told please. you teamwork, right? This whole thing is based on it. So uh, I get into this industry in 2012, and uh, I am like many. I don't know if you knew this, but right now, 91% of people that try this industry aren't here in three years. It's wow. worse odds than like starting a yield. Yeah, it's, it's like really bad. And yeah. so uh, you can imagine why, again, people are ditching the strategy, which I think gives amazing opportunity. But the point is, so I start and I'm terrible at the job. You know, I, you know, I had hair back then and I just didn't know what I was doing. You know, I just I was not very good at it. And uh, one thing or another uh, went my way and I found myself not, you know, about six to nine months into that uh, career, uh, all of a sudden with a level of success where they were taking me around the country to give speeches. You know, the top first year advisor ever and all these things. And oh, I wish I had more time to tell you, like, literally it was my mom's best friend that kind of did it all for me because she felt bad because I was so bad at the job. So she just wow. kind of said, you need to help these people and let me do the talking, honey, because you're terrible. <laughs> I mean, that was kind of how I'm here. So I'm, I'm talking to my mentor. You know, everything is about mentorship here. And I'm like, hey, what do I do with this? He's like, well, Travis, you've, you've tried four other businesses and failed all those. And so maybe this is the one. Maybe you're supposed to start a financial service firm. So I started and I'm kind of taking this idea of my mentor was with me. And so two are better than one, right? Like I was a relationship that people really trusted, but they knew I was, you know, green. I didn't know what I was talking about yet. And then I had an expert next to me. And I was like, I wonder if I could be that expert, even though I'm young and, and you know, give everyone an opportunity because on the college campus, when I heard a financial advisor, I'll be honest with you, I thought of a dude in like a green men's warehouse suit that looked like he's more parachuting because it didn't fit. You know, like, like that's my mind. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to be a financial planner. And once I experienced the job, I was like, wow, we need to get some swagger back in this industry because mm. it's pretty lame, you know. And um, so I start hiring these people. And in the company I was in, there's this competition where, you know, pretty much the whole 5,000 people were part of a couple hundred teams. So they'd have you compete to see who'd be the top team. And so in 2016, you know, we're sitting in August and it looks like we may win this thing. And you're not supposed to win it in a couple couple years. This is kind of crazy, right? Yeah. I'm in a client meeting and I go blind, literally blind. Oh my god! And can't see. You know, I have never been blind before, so I'm thinking it's a practical joke. You know, I mean, wow. I, I, so my peripheral comes back a few minutes later, and um, and so it, it comes back, and you know, to to make a long story short, there I am, 
getting ready to have a brain surgery, 26 years old. And uh, there was a, actually a woman in, in my church that had the exact same surgery, not, not I mean, uh, within a month that had passed away on the table. Wow. So I'm crying, thinking this is it. And I'm thinking about like, God, did I leave my family in a good spot? So I'll just tell you, when you're on your deathbed, I figured out what I do for a living actually matters. Because you do think about it. How'd you leave your family? Like, you know, did you have debt? Did you have life insurance? Did you have investments? Like, it matters when you're thinking it could be it. But then I couldn't help to think, uh, Jason, like, God, I thought we were going to win number one. I'm competitive. So I was like, ah, you know, I might not be here for it. So I just tell the team, hey, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. So successful surgery. He says, the the surgeon, hey, four months, you can't check an email, can't text or anything. Four months. So I'm like, well, geez, the team's not going to be able to, like, we're without the great Travis, right, like I thought, what are they going to do? I mean, how much arrogance, right? So I come back four months later. They went some 20%, 30% higher than our projections. They won the whole thing. Wow. I mean, we're getting national exposure, all these things. I said, like, God, what happened? They said, well, I'll be honest, the first couple of weeks, we had no idea what you did. And then we started to do it, and it's like, you did a lot. But then we started to figure out, among us, we could split it up a little bit. And then we figured out we could probably run this maybe a little bit better than you running by yourself. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm like, yeah, okay, I can see it. So I'm like, do you guys need me anymore? I'm like, oh, yeah, but here's where we need you. Not on all those other things. Here's where we need you. So we start, we start you know, cranking away and doing well, and obviously the rest is history. But I always go back to that of, um, like, I think as a leader, sometimes we can tell ourselves we're indispensable. Sometimes we can be involved in 25 different uh, functionalities or tasks or whatever it is in a week and think it's a normal week. And all these things, and I'll tell you, like, maybe the best thing that ever happened to me leadership lesson-wise was the brain surgery. Mm -hmm. And since then, I've tried to do this on an annual basis, like a total kind of get get off the grid. Uh, Because I think that what you don't realize is when you get off of that, it forces your people to step up in roles you didn't know they were capable of. They maybe didn't know they were either. And then when you come back, it is scary because I think for me, Enneagram 3, I'm so scared to death you're going to figure out I'm not, I'm not going to achieve and I'm not the best person in the world. And if you ever figure that out, what will I be? I'll just shrivel up. You know, I won't, I won't be anything. So I'm so scared of doing it every time. But every time I come back, every time I see, since, since that day, the team is stronger. They're doing better than ever. And I now have a much more balanced life and the company is performing better. Mm-hmm. But it's just because I got my ego out of the way. I'm just not that important, yeah. right? And I think that mindset check, that to me is like, listeners out there, whether you ever meet me or not, you can take that two or better than one. That's two or better than one. As leaders, it can't just be us leading the charge all the time. Yeah, 100%. I really love that. Um, the intentional getaway, uh, stepping out of the way, getting your ego out of the way. Uh, man, massive importance. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if anybody listening will have the courage to do that with their company. It's hard. Yeah. Yeah, man. Goodness gracious. Uh, well, I'm looking at the time and I want to, you know, you know, honor the, the time of, that you set aside for this. Uh, so let's kind of jump to the next segment, which um, is just plugs. What do you want to plug? Obviously, tell, tell me about, you know, how, do, how, does, how does somebody sign up? What's 49 Financial? How do we dive into that? But also anything else, any project you're working on or th- something you're passionate about? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Fortnite Financial, I mean, you could just go to our website to sign up. And what I would say is, um, as you are thinking about it, we are not a fit for everyone. 
That's very clear. Now, the two are better than one extends. We feel like we're there for the client and together, right? We can make a better return for your labor, right? That's that's it. Um, but I would say that if someone is really entertaining the thought of, I'm getting more serious about my goals financially. And yes, I want to invest. And yes, I want to protect myself and my family and all these things for sure. But like, I really want to know a plan of where I'm headed why I'm heading there. Let's say you're a business owner out there. When are you going to exit? I mean, Jason, you exited. Like, what's the plan there? And then how are you going to handle that from a tax perspective, right? Uh, if you're just someone, right, that's like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm newer to savings and all those types of things, but I'm trying to figure it out, right? All of those types of things. I think 49 is the place uh, for, uh, like we said before, if you're starting to get to that 250 or so mark and you're starting to say, like, wow, you know, I need, I need to think about this a lot more holistically, you know, that and up. I mean, we really, really, really love to meet those people, not knowing if we can help, but more to get to know them, get to serve them. And, uh, and yeah, obviously we'd love to meet you. Very cool. Anything else that you want to plug? Before we I think the last, last thing, here. <laughs> yeah, Jason, last thing that I would say, um, is back to this whole two or better than one concept, like where we are in the world. So we can, we can get out of business, uh, we can get out of my industry. Um, I, I think that my hope in having this namesake of 49 and what it means is if there was ever a time that I feel like people are not unifying together and literally like, wait a second, you and me, if we actually just like did it together, better things will happen for each one of us. Like it's just true and it happens every time. And I think that you know you have to get over some petty differences. You have to understand that sometimes the person, uh, going back to Enneagram, that is the Enneagram that you're most annoyed by could be the thing and person that enriches you the most. Yeah. Um, I just think my, my shout out to, to close down is take to it better than one wherever you are. If we all did a little more of that, imagine like we could change this world. It'd be a lot better place for all of us to live, but start to dance. Someone's got to start the dance. And so we all got to choose to start it. I love that. And I, I want more leaders to adopt that mentality. And, you know, it, we don't do politics on this podcast, um, sure. but sometimes we'll mention ideologies, not not policies. But, you know, you look back over the last, you know, few years, eight years, whatever. And I firmly believe that no matter who, no matter what the policies are that somebody that any president would have had, I think yeah. that the leadership and, and the quality of leadership would have had a far greater impact. And I would love yeah. for somebody to be like, oh, my policies, I don't know, they're somewhere balanced, you know, somewhere. <laughs> right? yeah. but like, but we're going to lead this nation. We're going to try yeah. to build unity and bring people together mm-hmm. instead of dividing them and making things more divisive. Um, and I would love to see that. I, I mean, I, I already know how power and control works uh, in you know, human nature. So I know that's not going to happen, but yep. I, can, I can wish. <laughs> I'm with you, brother. Uh, but I also, I mean, people break that mold all the time. Yeah, we are can tend to be very power and control centric and egocentric and selfish. But then you've got a ton of leaders who've realized, oh, no, it's way more fulfilling to be yeah. had to have the right why and to enrich other people's lives. You're an example of that. So um, yeah. maybe we will get somebody at the head one of these days. <laughs> you only can hope so. But I love um, I love what you said. And I'll just add one other thing to that. Um, one day I was, I was driving to the office and all I was thinking about is like, you know, the revenue we need to bring in, all the things that's good for a business owner to think about. And so I went out, I'm going to go to Starbucks, get a cup of coffee. I look over and there's a woman, an elderly woman that, it, you know, her car didn't start. 
So I pull over, right? And she's in it and I push it and she drives it and she thanks me and she hugs me and all those things. Uh, when I went back to the office, I was a different guy. And, and so I think one of the things that we also uh, need to remember is this whole two are better than one, you'll actually be a better leader. You'll probably end up making more money, even though you don't really care about that anymore, if you, if you, if you care about that. And I think it's just like a go, if you're not like right in the mind in that morning, you don't feel like you're leading well, go help someone with, with something and then go back to that task. And I promise you, you're going to see so clearly what mattered. And I think that's the start of it all. We got to, we got to, uh, two or better ones ourselves in some way to prepare for it before we can go out and really do anything with it. Yeah. Yeah. Super, super good stuff. Um, we'll jump to the last section here, which is a little bit of a, this or that it's a quick fire. All right. So I'm just going to say a couple of things. You tell me which one uh, resonates more. So first up beer or wine, wine, Mac or PC PC, uh, Mac. Okay. Spend your money or save your money? This one's save it. I have to say, <laughs> uh, dog or cat? Dog. Dog. Okay. Last one's a little bit Austin, Austin local. Uh, Taco Deli or Torchies? Taco Deli. Okay. All right, man. Love it. So that is the end of our podcast. Travis, thank you so much for being on, for giving us all these golden nuggets and words of wisdom uh, and everything else. Big thank you. Thank you, Jason. Appreciate it. Yeah. Again, Travis uh, Penfield of 49 Financial, and this is the Work Culture Podcast, and we are signing off. Bye-bye.